When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And bigger than ever, it's the unofficial 40 from Soonerscoop.com. Now, here's the entire Soonerscoop crew, Carrie, Josh, Eddie, and Bob. All right, welcome back. It is the unofficial 40 podcast brought to you by MidFirst Bank. Go check them out, midfirstbank.com slash u 40 uh, special deal on the uh, OU Awards credit card. We'll tell you more about that as we go along. But want to welcome in uh, Twitter fingers, Josh McQuistian, Twitter fingers, Eddie Radosevich, and Bob Prisbillo, who has uh, been sitting safely on the sidelines. I've had some Twitter fingers of my own, uh, but uh, I'm not apologizing for anything that has gone on in the last 24 hours. Uh, Chandler Morris commits to Oklahoma last night. Actually, had already signed with Oklahoma uh, before he committed. And Josh was down in uh, Orlando, had the exclusive uh, interview with him uh, that he released uh, as after he announced on television. So, Josh, I know you've been busy. Uh, welcome. It's not your normal. You're you're on location with the family, I guess today. Yeah, I've gone from like high, you know, high fidelity audio to I'm back to reel to reel now. So, you know, it's for all the people out there. That's not sexy talk for me. If you, I know you think that's sexy talk for me, but it's not. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I really, Carrie, I really thought that was going to be a home run for you. I am impressed right. that you know uh, what reel to reel is, though. Yeah, yeah. Of course, you, you know, interned not, at the sports honestly, animal. I know what it so looks you... like. Like, I know what it physically is, but yeah. I don't know anything beyond It's because you interned at the sports animal where our equipment is a thousand years old. <laughs> and we still have those reel-to-reel machines there. Wow, and that you know, and that internship was twenty years ago. So you know, that all sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, you know, the, the Chandler Morris story—it was something you know—and we we teased it a little bit on the board uh, back when it happened. And we got word on signing day that he had went ahead and signed and sent in his letter of intent. And you know, it wasn't so much that it was a huge surprise that oh, you would get Chandler Morris. It was just surprising that he did it when he did. And when I talked to him, and it's and I can't remember because I have to own this. That I did two takes of the Chandler Morris commitment interview. One was we forgot to record the audio, and so I had to go back and do it with him again. And both interviews were really good, and I can't remember what he talked about, but he did say in one of them he goes, you know, my dad taking the Auburn offensive coordinator job was a really good smokescreen for everything I was doing with Oklahoma. Like it, it was. It, everybody got so serious about the Auburn thing, but according to Chandler, that was never really that. I mean, it's, it's something he considered, but it seems like it was very momentary. He kind of just moved on past it. I get the impression Virginia Tech was the other school that really caught his attention and was, was something he was pretty serious about and, and did take an official visit out there. So, you know, there is, um, there's a lot to that story, but, you know, for those who haven't seen it, the, the story is free. We did a commitment video interview way back on Sunday at, during uh, Under Armour check-in, 
And that's always a fun deal because, like, I don't know Chandler. Like, a lot of these kids, when they do these things, I know them pretty well. OU's been recruiting them for months and months. I've got a relationship. With him, I didn't have that. So I kind of had to – I was like, Chandler, is there anything maybe that the whole world doesn't know that you want to talk a little bit about? And he's like, no. No, I don't know what you mean. And he kind of – and I kept kind of like, really? Like, are you sure? And he kind of smiles finally. I'm like, okay. I was like, we can do this one of two ways. We can do the big fluff story where we talk about all the schools you're interested in, or we can walk down the hall from the media room here a little bit. We'll kind of do a little more – a little different interview, you know, and that way I don't have to call you on Wednesday night or Thursday night after the game and do another interview. And he's like, okay, let's, let's go do that. He wanted to talk to me as little as possible. So, um, but yeah, no, it's a good get for Oklahoma. I actually got a message last night from a Dallas area high school coach that has played him the last couple of years and said, and this is a guy that's been in the coaching ranks for 25, 30 years and said, Chandler Morris, is the most accurate quarterback I've seen in my time, you know, working in the Nike camps, doing all the stuff he's done. He's been around a lot of good ones, and he thinks Chandler Morris is extremely underappreciated. He, he really likes this get for Oklahoma. Well, and that's something that's important that you just said there because, you know, when we went, went through kind of the Baker Mayfield era with Lincoln Riley, uh, and it, you know, everybody always wanted to kind of get down to the bottom of what it was that made Baker Mayfield – you know, able to be a walk-on, win the starting job, transfer to Oklahoma, win it again, lead a team to play. Like, what was it about this kid? And Lincoln Riley said time and time again, it's his accuracy. Like, we, he can do the things that he does. We can do the things that we do because he is one of the most accurate quarterbacks I've ever coached. Uh, and you you start, you you hear that, and then you start looking at other people and you see quarterbacks like Jameis Winston out there, you wonder why he has all the problems that he has. It's because he's not all that accurate all the time. And, of course, Baker hadn't had a great year, but in college for Lincoln Riley, if you're accurate, that's pretty much you know the, the bulk of the battle that you have to fight. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, and you're right because people are going to come back. Well, Baker hadn't done great in the NFL. Well, the windows get smaller in the NFL. So not only do you have to be accurate, it has to get there in a hurry. So the, the, there's a another step. It's another level to what you're having to do. And, you know, I, I think we, we can get into the whole argument with Baker, but you're right. At the college level, and as Chandler Morris gets bigger and stronger and his arm continues to develop, I think he's one of those guys that, you know, could be a much better player Largely, I mean, to some so to some degree, because he's going to be working with Lincoln Riley, he could be a much better player than maybe you look at his skill set and say, oh, he can't be that guy. I think he could be. I think he could be a very good player. Maybe, you know, he sits for a couple of years, obviously probably behind Spencer Rattler, and then you kind of have that uh, that chance where everybody's going to say, oh, no, he's he's nothing, it's no big deal, and then maybe he could be that guy for you. Are you sure that he's going to be learning under Lincoln Rowley? Because on Wednesday, I was under the impression that he had told Brock Vandergriff that he was going to the Dallas Cowboys, and that's what started this entire series oh, of events over the last 48 hours. Uh, your response, Josh, and then obviously we got to talk about the 2021 decommit of Brock Vandergriff because I think that anybody out there would say that that was quite the surprise as far as uh, basically going in a different direction. Uh, for the uh, for the for the foreseeable future, I guess at the quarterback position. Absolutely, and we'll, we'll get into that. But can we talk about the stupidity of 
I mean, and I don't even want to put this on OU fans. Like, we do a lot of redneck voice. This was like NFL draft media that were trying to connect Brock Vandergriff decommitting to, oh, well, Lincoln Riley's taking the job. Are you kidding me? Not Ian Rappaport, not Adam Schefter, not Bruce Feldman, the college rank, not us as a local media entity. Nobody's even heard that Lincoln Riley took an interview for a Dallas job that at that time was not currently open. For all you but, know, Josh, Ian Rappaport did report that. Nice. You know, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Ian, it's time, buddy. Let, let it go. We're, it was just a Michael Kendricks joke. It's fine. We, we can all move past it. And You're blocked by I, All this has happened, with, but you know what? Lincoln Riley's going to stop the train, and he's going to call Brock Vandegrift, and I think Eddie quoted it yesterday, like, oh, I really owe this to you. You know, like, I, I really owe you to let you know, Brock, that I'm going to leave before I tell literally anyone else that I've even interviewed for this job. Like, that doesn't hold up to a second of scrutiny, and yet people ran with it like it was official news. I think it's just one of those things that there's a lot of people, you see something on Twitter, you start to put two and two together, and from the outside looking in, I if you don't follow recruiting, I, right. I could see how you get led down that path. If what you want to believe or come to reality is, we had Rich Eisen like out there in the middle like, of all that, that stuff. That's too. the first time that Brock Vandegrift's name is, and this isn't a slight to Brock Vandegrift. That's the first time that uh, he has ever, Rich Eisen's ever heard that name. Yeah. It has to be. Yeah. There was a guy named Mike Fisher. He comes on uh, my radio uh, station in Oklahoma City and he covers the Cowboys or whatever. And mm-hmm. like he wrote this big expose about. Brock Vandegrift is a clue that the Cowboys are going to hire Lincoln Riley, and they very well could. And we could look like idiots. I still don't think that's going to happen because I don't think Lincoln Riley's a they're son of a bitch. Relatable. He's I not mean, a son not. of a bitch human that has lied to a bunch of people. I don't think. But at the same time, <laughs> it has nothing. They don't go together. This whole this no. entire thing isn't some type of they're not connected. big conspiracy no. that Lincoln Riley has told his junior quarterback commit. That he's taking the job because then that wouldn't make sense with what a screw job he did to Chandler Morris. Yeah, talking about Lincoln Riley. Yeah, I mean, they're just looking to connect dots that aren't there. When you play terrible in the Peach in the Peach Bowl, and then your 2021 quarterback decommits, everyone's oh okay because he's out the door. This makes this all makes sense if you don't actually do any research and if you don't actually know. What's going on? My thought has always just been Lincoln will leave when either he hates recruiting or when he has his best team assembled through his recruiting years and they still don't win. He's not at that point. They've had good teams, but not the team that I think Lincoln Riley believes that this is the one that gets number eight. I think I think he'll leave when he gets frustrated that, oh, you won't let him have bag men like to compete with the SEC. Maybe that was the breaking point in Atlanta on Saturday. <laughs> it, it just it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, that's obviously looking through it through an Oklahoma lens. I just, I, I, again, it's kind of what we just said. I don't think that he would have lied to all these recruits. But then again, I can't say that I just absolutely know Lincoln Riley either. I didn't, I didn't want to fuel the fire last night because, you know, the first people to retweet the Chandler Moore stuff was the OU football account. And I thought, hmm, boy, Lincoln Riley, it's 20 minutes, and Lincoln Riley still hasn't retweeted this. Like I was like, no, I'm not going to go there. I've already had enough jackasses out there. You know, and that was the other thing. It was like people thought that, like, 
Chandler Morris and Brock Van, like he committed to OU because of Vandegrift, you know, just decommitted. They were never related. And I think all of us put some sort of tried to, you know, <laughs> if anyone would read it. But Bob was telling me before we came on, like somebody was uh, out there asking it's, about it. It's still. still in the mentions for people that don't follow it. They believe that this led to another, and it's like they do not correlate whatsoever. Well, Chandler signed two weeks ago when Brock Vandegrift was still a completely firm commitment. And, you know, I guess we, we kind of lead that into the Vandegrift conversation. Guys, I can tell you, going into Wednesday morning when he called Lincoln Riley, there was no inclination that there was a problem there. Oklahoma thought that was done. They thought quarterback recruiting was done. That's why they had kind of cold-shouldered Caleb Williams when he came to Norman. This was not something where Oklahoma was like, yeah, we were a little shaky about him. This was a guy they thought was as locked in as anybody in the 20. I mean, he might as well have signed in December the way Oklahoma felt about him. He, they, they were completely caught off guard. And for people that will try to turn that into, well, they're not doing their – no. This is some random deal where he spent some time with family and decided he couldn't get that far from this family. Now, I mean, you, you can have the conversation of that's going to become an eventuality no matter where you go. But at the same time, I mean, that's the way the kid felt, that, that he yeah. wasn't sure in co his college years he was going to be ready to be away from home, and that's what led to all this. I think we've also gotten a little bit, I, not us, but just everybody as a whole has gotten wrapped up in this idea that, or forgotten the idea that Brock Vandergriff hasn't even finished his junior year of high school. Yeah, by the time he actually signs... It's possible he signs with USC and declares emancipation from his family. <laughs> that, that would be something. There's a lot something. of time left. That would be something. You know, I, I would hand it to, to him. Sign. It's a year now. Now, there is nothing I'm getting from OU sources that tells me that Oklahoma really feels like they've got a chance, like this feels like a decision he is firm on. But if I'm Oklahoma, I'm not closing that door yet. I mean, he was with you for six months, seemed as locked in as any guy ever, and then over a couple of weeks, everything changes. Like, yeah. I, you know, at some point, you, you, I almost want to think, okay, maybe we give this a month, and he gets back into his school life, and everything kind of normalizes, and maybe he realizes maybe this was rash. You know, maybe I need to come back and give Oklahoma at least another look. I do I have, don't think I, that's the way it's going to play. I'm going to bet he ends up at Georgia. But, you know, I, I think crazier things have happened. I have an idea how to solve this. Get the bag men to put the hottest, craziest woman, young woman you can find to seduce him and then just drive him insane to where he has to get away from Georgia. What's uh, Chris Robinson's ex-girlfriend doing now? Is yeah, she still I was going to say, we know just the lady for the job. <laughs> They're yeah. probably still together. <laughs> And Josh, you mentioned... I think she's actually moving to Oxford with uh, Lane Kiffin. <laughs> <laughs> He's taking her in. Josh, you mentioned Caleb Williams, and it did feel like OU was in great standing with him in summer. Now it looks like LSU kind of in the uh, in the lead. Sooners go back here when the, dead, when the dead period's over, and you think they can make a real run at trying to change that course of action? Well, I mean, and that's the tough part here, Bob, because these aren't guys that they can directly contact yet. So they, they still have to deal with all of that. And or I mean, I'm sorry, they can. I don't know why I got – sorry, I got my wires crossed. They can, but 
you're right. I mean, Caleb Williams knows what happened on his visit, and it wasn't thought to that it was ever going to matter. And I think to some degree Oklahoma handled that as diplomatically as they could have because we talked about it at the time. They want to go back into the D.C. area and recruit. They didn't want to poison the well where they've had a lot of success with Joseph Wete and Aaron Parks and Anton Harris and that whole DMV area. So Oklahoma didn't really do him dirty, but they they made it pretty clear Brock was our guy. So now they've got to try and kind of make up ground. I think that if, if he – as long as he doesn't decide in the next couple of months, I think anything's possible. But at the same time – when he was wanting to make his decision, Lincoln Riley had two straight Heisman Trophy winners, and LSU was a dump heap for quarterbacks. Well, now Joe Brady is one of the most respected guys in the country, and Lincoln Riley, I mean, obviously Lincoln Riley still is too, but LSU has plenty to stand on on their own at this point. So I don't know how that's going to go. We'll kind of watch that one. What I will say is the guy that I really was surprised with how much interest there seemed to be was Demetrius Davis from North Shore mm. uh, in the Houston area. Guy, you know, for those that don't follow, has is the quarterback that's led North Shore to back-to-back state championships in Texas's biggest division. Uh, is a six-foot, uh, probably 190 guy, very athletic, uh, a better thrower than he gets credit for. But I, that's what surprised me is he isn't necessarily the next Baker Mayfield, the next Chandler Morris, that kind of vein of quarterback. He is a very much a dual-threat guy. He's as adept running the ball as he is throwing it. And I kind of thought they would lean back towards that Spencer Rattler direction. But I, like I said, I got the impression there are some people that are very interested in him. And if, But at, the, at this point, Williams is absolutely their focus, and they want to see if they can get back in that race. And Davis committed to Virginia Tech, correct? Recently, yeah. Yes. And, I mean, you, you almost have to feel like – this is the opposite of Brock Vandegrift. He can stay closer to home, go to Oklahoma. Texas already has their quarterback in that class. A&M already has their quarterback in that class. Oklahoma's clearly his most realistic option unless Caleb Williams were to come to Oklahoma, and then you get LSU and OU probably changing roles in, in those two players' recruitment. So, like I said, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens here, but I didn't hear any mention of Preston Stone. I didn't hear any mention of Eli Stowers, the kid from Denton Geyer that's committed to A&M. Uh, Jalen Milrow, who is a teammate of one of OU's big defensive offers in the 2021 class. So I didn't hear any of those names really come up. Now, it's early, and like I said, this is not something that OU had been monitoring. They thought they were done at 2021 quarterback and were probably already thinking about who the 2022 option was going to be. So there, there is some catching up they're going to have to do here. But the first two names that were very clear were Williams and Davis. Well, in, you know, in, in terms of you know, Chandler Morris now uh, signing with Oklahoma, um, is, he, is he enrolling now? Or is he still going to be at Highland Park this semester? He'll still be at Highland Park. He'll show. He's a summertime guy. Um, I think, like I said, I just think he knew that Oklahoma is what he wanted to do, and it's it's incredibly fortuitous for both he and Oklahoma because he obviously, when his father got fired at Arkansas, kind of got left, and it would be really easy for a guy that had you know at one at various times Oklahoma, USC, a lot of big time offers to have to end up at Virginia Tech. And I don't mean that as a slight, but that's just not the same level of national notoriety. But instead, he falls into Oklahoma, 
And Oklahoma, in turn, kind of falls into him when it looked like they were either going to have to pray that Tanner Mordecai or Spencer Rattler, whoever came out of that quarterback competition, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, isn't going to have to transfer or isn't going to transfer well, and that's get what, into the grad transfer market. That's what I was getting at, uh, bringing up Morris again. Um, look, Tanner Mordecai, the, the Peach Bowl, I mean, we were all shocked to see Spencer Rattler come into the game first as a backup because it just that's not protocol. The protocol is... Uh, you know, Tanner Mordecai has been your backup quarterback all year. He's been the first one to come into games. Uh, and then uh, Spencer Rattler would get some mop-up after that. So Lincoln came out the next day, the next morning, when he met with the beat guys and said, well, the reps weren't equal throughout the year, so I, it was time to get him some. And he also said, you know, if Spencer had converted that first down, then Mordecai was coming in the game, which I don't I don't believe. I don't believe that. Um that that would have been weird. I've never seen him do that before. <laughs> so, I, I mean, but the whole thing is like, and everybody's like, oh, well, of course, Spencer Rattler, that's not a big deal. Everyone knows he's going to be. A, like, no, he broke protocol. Like, that is just not normal. So, spare me your uh, depth chart expertise, Bob73459. Like, hey, it's my burner. <laughs> oh, that was you. Um, I Like, that's fine. You this is let the big let the grown-ups talk for a minute. Like it's it's fine. We all think that Spencer Rattler will be the starting quarterback next year. Nobody if we all went to Vegas and, and we could place bets on it, we would all bet, I would assume, for Spencer Rattler over Tanner Mordecai mm. to be the starter. Okay. Depends what Tanner Schaefer does in seven on seven this year. <laughs> this summer. For me. Well, what least. and what if Spencer's shoulder falls apart? I mean, oh, we, yeah, we've heard true. rumors of that happen in the summers before. You gotta be careful. I don't know if you listened to the uh, post game podcast from the uh, the shit show bowl is what we uh, now term the peach bowl, even <laughs> though they treated us very nicely. Uh, let get it. let's let's not go through the charade again during the spring. Just name Spencer Rattler your starter, please. I'm begging you. Well, well you, especially you, when you're going to say things like he needed more reps, we wanted more opportunities. Give the young guy the reps, man. Like he's your guy. We know it. There's there's no question. And I agree completely with everything Terry said. Like. That's why this was interesting. It would have been like the year Kyler Murray was Baker's backup. Austin Kendall suddenly comes in the game. Wait, what just happened? Like, what? There was no reason to do it. And the fine. And I'll let Kerry. I know you wanted to get into something else. Look at the look at the reaction of Mordecai on the sideline. Did yeah. that look like a guy that was like, "I'm about to go in the game. Come on, Spencer, get the first down so I can go do it." That clearly was not on his mind. No, but he does have resting bitch face though. He does. does. I mean, I've never seen him like you know smiling and happy and jovial. Like he just has. Only I have it too. With me, he really loved those. <laughs> I have it too. I mean, I have resting bitch face. It's just it's an affliction, and he suffers from it. So I didn't I saw read a guy too much. Some into worse it. than mine the other day. It was really serious. I mean, that was extra RBF. But look, there's no reason for Tanner Mordecai not to stay around in the spring and compete for the starting job. There's just no reason. I mean, you're going to have to sit out a year anyway. You could leave now, but you're still going to miss next football season. Right. I think if you believe in that line, then he can graduate in three years and then have two years to play, just like Austin Kendall yeah. just, just did. There really is no legitimate logic as to why he would leave now. So staying is really, to me, that's the only option that he has left, uh, and you know, let those two compete, see how it goes. I mean, maybe Spencer Rattler has issues picking this up or that up. And uh, I mean, the thing is, 
Like, they're both going to be running the same offense now. I mean, Spencer Rattler's not going to be wasting any time on scout team. Well, they don't have a schmuck running quarterback position anymore. <laughs> I'm trying to connect I, the dots. The last quarterback was a schmuck. Oh, I, Venom. I see. Not, I didn't see that coming. That was a plot twist. Not running the quarterback, game, just the quarterback was a schmuck. Yeah. The son of a bitch, Jalen Hurts. Um, <laughs> did you not get it? No, I am, I'm fully invested now. I think the one thing I, no, I'm going to not miss the most is the Alabama hangers on mm. that became experts on OU football overnight. Yeah, anybody that welcomed OU Tony with open arms, you need to look yourself in the mirror. I wasn't saying names. I will. <laughs> I, I had one informing me yesterday on all the inner details of Josh Jacobs' recruitment. Oh, boy. I was like, well, that's, that's great. You were involved in the last, like, four days of it. That's incredible. It's just incredible. that The entire uh, – Josh, did you listen to the postgame thing? I did. I did. Was I too harsh in my analysis of uh, Jalen Hurts' time opinion, in Oklahoma? You know, I – the the whole thing with the, you know, and everybody loves that speech, and I know we got a lot of views out of it, and that's great. Like, that's great for, you know, our brand. But the whole thing about, I told Coach Riley I was going to come in here and win a national championship for him. Whoa. Like, what about your history tells you you could make that promise? <laughs> like, that that's not something you've done. You got benched and somebody else took care of the job. Like, and, and I... I and I, you know, guys. I heard you guys talking about the SEC just reverence for him. And I asked a few of the guys while I was at the you know Under Armour game, and then again in, at the All American game in San Antonio. Like, where does this come from? And it was just kind of like, you know, he's just such a nice kid, and he's so respectable, and blah blah. And I get that he he is those things, but like it's like it's let everybody in the SEC just be blinded. To the fact that if he played it, I think you got uh, Kerry. You may have said it in the post game. Like if he played at Vanderbilt, nobody would remember him. Nobody would remember who he is. Or if he'd gone to Vanderbilt and Kansas, it's not like he would have taken those programs to different heights. He would have just been another guy that lost a bunch of games. Yeah. And I, I think that people will hear us say that, or at least hear me say that, and it's like, oh, they're just shitting on this guy because he didn't win a college football playoff, but same time he didn't really exactly endear himself to anybody and i think that you know if you look and i'm not saying that the the teammates didn't like him because i don't think that it was a a thing that just to throw a name I'm, I'm not even gonna throw a name i don't think that the team the players on the team hated him by any means but i also don't I think, think sometimes that, the receivers did yeah i would yeah i, I would say moments, that especially when moments for sure especially when you're the best wide receiver in the country and there's nobody around you within 15 yards and they don't even look at you once in the second quarter, but that's neither here nor there. I it just it 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 didn't strike me as somebody that really got the team behind him in a way, if that makes sense. He did a better job from Jan from January to August than he did from August to December. Perfectly said. It's a good. That's a good way. To really, say it. I mean, there there was two. There were two different Jalen's. There was Jalen before Texas and Jalen during Texas and after. Like, that's when we first saw, like, okay, well, Texas was the first time you're like, okay, well, you know, it was at Kansas, and somebody asked him about, you know, playing in OU Texas. He's like, I played the Iron Bowl. I think I'll be okay. 
And then halfway through that game, I'm like, really? Are you okay, Jalen? Because you're kind of sucking. Um, you're kind of a reason why oh, you might lose this game. Like when the stage got big and the bright and the lights got bright, he didn't do it. He didn't do it at all. Well, and, and you know, except for at Baylor, like, oh, you know. It's us shitting on him because, you know, he didn't win the national title or didn't win the playoff game or whatever. We've been saying this for a month. Like, this whole narrative that he was carrying Oklahoma, no, Oklahoma's defense and running game was dragging him through the rest of the season. Like, that's been happening really since the Kansas State game. You I, had... I think that was the biggest narrative that drove Bob and I crazy down <laughs> in Atlanta did. was that Jalen Hurts had... Carried this team into Raced a playoff. Oklahoma with and his it just, presence. And it wasn't true. It, like, it, it just wasn't no. true. Nothing he, about that was guys, true. He was dragged into the playoffs day, by the team. What game did Oklahoma win that they wouldn't have won without Jalen Hurts? Whether it's Mordecai, Rattler, whatever argument you want to make, what game did they win that they wouldn't have won without him? Baylor on the road. The, the reason that's hard to say is Hurts oh, had know. three turnovers yeah. of his own. They were he was put, fantastic in the second they half. They were put right? in that 28-3 to three hole because of what he yeah. did. I think that he got him out of the hole, but he dug he it. Put, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what's tough. As a whole, I think that you can say both are true, that the experience probably wasn't the best, but I think it was needed in a way. I, I do yes. think that Jalen Hurts plays a role as far as building some type of maturity within Spencer Rattler. I think it was good to be around him. I think you said that on the postgame podcast, Kerry. Uh, I, I just, you know, I, the people that wanted Spencer Rattler to take over halfway through the season, I don't think it was right, and I certainly don't think he should have in, you know, the, the, the semifinal game or anything, But because they obviously had much larger problems on the other side of the ball. But I do think that, it was probably worth it. I, I don't I don't think that I would go as far to say that it was just completely not worth it to bring him in. You he was only going to get benched if the goal of winning a national championship had been completely stripped away. Like answer me this like let's say Jalen Hurts had never never uh never transferred in and you go out there and Austin Kendall is the quarterback. Would Austin Kendall have survived the year? Would Spencer Rattler have eventually become the starter? I think Spencer Rattler yes. might have won the job out of camp, to uh, be yeah. honest. I mean, I the way that Austin Kendall played in Morgantown. He would have got killed by that line, too, early. And, and I think with, with Rattler, there's two ways to look at it. To me, the only way you start him is if you start him from game one and let him grow through the year. like Because the idea that you were going to bring him in at midseason when he's been running scout team and all that, and he was going to have time – when Oklahoma hit the best part of their schedule as far as most quality opponents, they were suddenly he was going to be ready. That's not realistic. That just that has no place in reality. What the other thing I'll say is this idea. I don't know about Jalen Hurts being good for Spencer Rattler. Like I think he probably was, but I think the idea of Spencer Rattler having to sit for a year, mature a little bit, kind of learn that okay, you're not the savior of this program. You're, you're, just, you're another guy. You're a good player. We'll plug you in when we're ready. I think that's probably something he needed to know. Him coming in and starting from day one, I think it would have been really easy for Spencer to maybe fall into some of the ego traps that can, that can happen to a young guy, especially a young quarterback as talented as he is and with as much expe expectation as everyone had for him. By the way, uh, I want to get back to this, uh, but remind you guys that the MidFirst uh, Bank is our uh, podcast sponsor, uh, presenting sponsor for the Unofficial 40. 
Uh, Want to check out their website, midfirst.com slash U40. That's midfirst.com slash U40. Uh, they've got a new offer going this month. Uh, of course, uh, the OU Rewards credit card, you can go apply for it. Uh, and if you apply in person at participating banking centers, you'll receive a free Bluetooth speaker uh, when you uh, sign up for the card. Uh, you have a low introductory rate for first 12 months. You can redeem rewards for points for cashback, gift cards, merchandise, travel. There's no annual fee. And also, this is important for you parents out there, uh, you can redeem points uh, for the OU student bursar account to pay for tuition. So uh, not a bad card to uh, maybe get your kids and send them off to college with. I know my well. parents were familiar with paying off a bursar account. Yeah. Same. Yep. <laughs> I think any anybody any parent that has put a kid through school at OU is well aware of the uh, the bursar. Was at the bursar's office many many a time. I don't even know if it's in the same place anymore. I don't even I know if I ever went over there. Right, right I, across from the Union. Yeah, yeah. That's that's where it was when I when I was oh, in school. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. In that building, like separate from the Union. It was mm -hmm. like yeah. a dark, dreary place that you didn't you didn't like going into. Mm -hmm. Take that check from your parents and all the guilt that came along with it. Because you probably had a bad semester, too, like me. You know, during the uh, Galgly era, they had, like, a big head, and his mouth was just open, and you put the check in his mouth. <laughs> it was like a nutcracker for cash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Galgly era, the, that lengthy period of time. That 12-month period. It was a dark 12, 13 months. <laughs> so go to midfirst.com. for about a month before he was gone. Even, go to Midfirst. even Bourne wasn't getting ass during that time. Go to midfirst.com slash U40 and uh, maybe they'll have a maybe they'll have the James Gallagher machine there. They'll have him left Let over. Let us know. You can put, that'd be awesome if you could pay your uh, credit card statement, like scan it into his. Oh, I don't I want to. Okay, that's good. Moving on. <laughs> not Thanks, Midfirst. Thank you, Midfirst, for not canceling your sponsorship. Uh, go sign up, people. All right, so uh, I I mean. Outside of you know signing day coming up, I guess the big thing, uh, Josh, being in Orlando, uh, any anything with Alfred Collins, anything with Reggie Grimes that uh, was making the rounds while you were there. Well, Josh has been you in know, Orlando and San Antonio and San Antonio. Yes, sure. Did a little double sure. with, with, with Reggie in Orlando. I think I want to you know, and we'll kind of go into the recruiting side of it. But as a player, I think people came in maybe with the expectation that Reggie Grimes is going to be a little disappointing. And I think they got the opposite. I think Reggie Grimes impressed some people. I don't know. You know, I know you fans are going to hear this and, you know, immediately go to Twitter. Well, Josh McQuiston says he's going to jump to five stars. I'm not saying that. Do I think he holds steady, maybe moves up a little bit? Yeah. I think that's possible. I think stars. he had a good week. I think he impressed some people. Um, is big, long, athletic. I mean, this is the kind of guy OU hasn't signed a lot of in the last few years. This is a – you know, Ronnie Perkins, Neville Gallimore, I mean, of that, that caliber that you say, okay, if if he'll put it all together, the NFL's in his future. So it's all there for Reggie Grimes. He can be a very good player. Uh, but to the guy you really want to, you know, that I think is more interesting as far as what's going on with him is Alfred Collins in San Antonio. Um, Alfred Collins, just every time I see him, he gets bigger and more impressive and I think he came in at six five and three quarters and like two eight and four or something, and is one of the more athletic. You know, he's playing defensive end, he's playing tackle. They move him around a lot. Um, it's uh, very very interesting to kind of watch him work, and I think he is a guy that you know. I talk a lot about guys I think are going to be better than we think. 
that's a guy that I think has first-round NFL talent. Alfred Collins is special if it all comes together. And I, I don't get the impression he's a kid with a work ethic problem. He does all the little things. He's, you know, every coach I've heard deal with him really likes him. Got good reviews from the staff there in San Antonio. So he's um, he's a guy that's really promising. I still think OU leads. There's been a lot of buzz about Texas this week. Um, I think a lot of that is coming from there's there's Texas commitments. There's a lot more of them in this game. Oklahoma only has Jalen Conyers in this game. Texas has Bijan Robinson. They've got several others, and I, I think you've got this where all the media are around these Texas players are like, oh, we're getting him, we're getting him, we're you know like those kids don't know Alfred Collins from anybody. Like he is a quiet reserve kid. He's not telling those kids what he's doing any more than he's telling me or other reporters he's known for just as long. That he is just going to keep it under his hat. I think Oklahoma's in good shape. I think the rumors around that rule at Baylor with those starting to seeming to pick up some steam, you know, you're hearing these talks of, you know, anybody that has Baylor connections, you might want to start looking at them for a resume, you know, that kind of thing. I I think Oklahoma's in good shape here. Alabama's going to make a real run. He's going to take a trip probably to all four schools barring, you know, whatever happens at Baylor. But Alabama, Texas, Oklahoma, and Baylor are his current plans to take unofficial visits before the next signing day. And then we'll kind of see what shakes out with him. But I, I, I like where Oklahoma is with him a lot because he has such a strong relationship with Lincoln Riley. That's clearly the head coach he knows the best, the one he talks to the most. In between all these trips to Dallas, Lincoln Riley continues to call <laughs> Alfred Collins a lot. That's interesting. That, I find that maybe he's just going to go pro. <laughs> maybe it, we can possible. Maybe we can convince him to move to Thackerville. Just so that he's from Oklahoma. They have big houses in Thackerville. He could build one right next to uh, Blake Shelton and Gwen Stefani. I thought she, they lived in Tecumseh. No, they lived in Thackerville, right on the border. Tishamingo. Or Tishamingo. Yeah, Tishamingo. Same difference. It's a, is <laughs> it's it, a T. Tishamingo Tish- is nowhere near <laughs> Thackerville. Is it not? No, no. it's not. Sorry. It's he, like going out towards like Holdenville, I think. But it's on the border, right? Is Tishamingo on the border? No. It's not? Can't say I've ever been to Tishomingo. It's it's like Ardmore levelish. Okay, it's like between Ardmore I'd and say like, Ardmore's on the border, like uh, Ada, I think, over by Ada, kind of. Either way, I'm never going, so it doesn't matter. We're probably totally wrong. And everybody's going to be like, <laughs> "We're going to rip us." Tishomingos in Northeast Oklahoma, you dumbasses. I know for there a fact it's not. There are seven Tishomingo listeners that are pissed right now. Josh, there was one thing I want to right by Murray State. Clarify. The lake? Murray State College. Is that by Murray Lake? Um, yeah, I don't know where Murray State College is either. It's in Tishomingo. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've come from we, we've we've so nothing. I don't know what lake this is. Tishomingo <laughs> National Wildlife Refuge. It's not even showing up on Google Maps. I'm sure there's a couple dead Damn bodies it. down there, though. All right, Josh. Since, since they're both looking, Tishomingo is straight east of Ardmore. By the way, there you go. There, go ahead, oh, nice. I was, I, hey, hey Carrie, well done, yeah. sir. I thought that I've driven through Tishomingo many times. So, well, I wanted to clarify. You mentioned unofficial visits. Does he have any official visits to take? Like, could he go to Bama? He has already taken an official to Bama, so that one he can't take. Um, I want to say he's got one left. But I think he's used them to all the schools he's currently considering. So it doesn't really matter unless someone were to get involved. But, I mean, 
at this point in the game. And Collins is a guy that's big on relationships, and I think that's why Alabama is a threat, but maybe not as scary as they would be in some situations because they really cooled on him through the winter months as Alabama was trying to figure out what was going to happen. And I think they missed out on a guy or two they wanted and ended up having a spot for him. And I still think it's a little dependent on what happens at some other positions. I don't think Alfred Collins is a guy that is number one on Alabama's list and they're going to go all out, that kind of thing. I mean, he's a guy they want, but not a guy they have to have. As to where Oklahoma, I I think if – I don't know if they sign another guy on the second signing day – if Alfred Collins isn't, you know, doesn't end up at Oklahoma, like I don't think they are set that they have to have another guy. So that'll be interesting to watch. I, I think it, you know, we'll get into the grad transfer market a little bit. That seems like where I think you're going to see a little more action from Oklahoma over the next few months than the signing day period. I think it's going to be more grad transfer work, which is interesting because you look at you know Oklahoma's defensive line and. Ronnie Perkins situation and I, I certainly don't think that uh, Alfred Collins and correct me if I'm wrong Josh and Bob that I don't think he'd be a guy that comes in and gives you immediate impact uh, he'd probably have to grow a little bit into his into his body just from what I can tell from the the army the army bowl stuff but it would seem that they need I mean what is the grad transfer market at a defensive tackle position Right. Is there somebody out there that could, could come in and help? Because you obviously have Joshua Elliott and Perry and Winfrey are guys that are probably going to help. Uh, you know, you have a couple guys coming back in Jalen Redmond and that group. But at the same time, they need difference makers. Yeah, you know, and I think Collins is a guy probably not unlike Perkins as a freshman that played some, you know, sure. wasn't. What wasn't always on the field, but definitely a guy that can help you rotationally. But I agree. I mean, he's not. Jadavion Clowney going to show up and have 12 sacks next year. That's not what you expect. But what I will say, you know, is kind of interesting from him, and it's something I had I had heard from a few people. Under Chris Ash, the expectation is Texas is going to go to a four-man front. Well, in a four-man front, Alfred Collins is not a defensive end. And I Collins literally told me the other day he prefers defensive end to defensive tackle. Now, OU's ends are you know, they're they're squeezed inside a little more than other positions, but he's going to play wider in OU scheme than he would in Texas's. And I think that's another advantage Oklahoma has. Now, there's plenty going for Texas, his family connections, all that sort of thing, but there are things for a kid that pays attention like Alfred does that can help Oklahoma. So we'll kind of watch that. But, you're, Eddie, you're right. The problem is in the grad transfer market, really good, Defensive linemen don't grad transfer. They exactly. go to the NFL draft. <laughs> exactly. So th- th- there's just not a big market for them. Touché, so sir. that's going to be – and Oklahoma's going to have to juggle that. I mean, because if Perkins is gone as long as we think he is, they're just going to have to figure out some guys. Some guys are going to need to step up. Isaiah Thomas is going to have to be more consistent. You know, those kind of things. Yeah. But there are some bodies there. There's some talent there with guys like Corey Roberson. You hope Marcus Hicks can kind of make a step. Jordan are, Kelly. Yep. Yeah, I mean, Jordan, like I said, I've said this a lot of times. I have more than one person that has told me going into the season before Jordan Kelly hurt himself, he would have been the backup to Neville Gallimore, not Marquise Overton. So, you know, make of that what you will. That You know, a lot of people can, you know, that's easy to say after someone's injured. You know, oh, we really believed in him. We thought he was going to be a good player. We'll see and see where Jordan Kelly is in his return. But there is optimism for him. They they think he can be a good player. And then you've got Winfrey and, and – um, 
not is it El- why am I blanking on Josh's name? Uh, Joshua Elliott from yeah, I don't know why I just went somewhere else with him. El- uh, well, because we're saying it wrong. It's Ellison. 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 I was Ellison like, Elliott. Right. It like, starts just, with an E. Yeah. Tisha yep. Mingo. I, I, I messed that up. <laughs> Same damn place. So I'm bl- I'm blaming that one on Eddie. Yeah, that is. My fault. Um, but you know. When you look at those three, that's a really good inside rotation if that's what it ends up being. And if Win- if Ellison can come and be a guy and you've got Ellison and Kelly, well, then you can move Winfrey around. If he's best at nose, great. But he's kind of a longer, leaner guy. Like maybe he slides out to end and can be some better quality depth out there where you've lost Ronnie Perkins. There's a lot of ways you can go with it. And I think that defensive line is kind of trying to become like what we always talk about with the offensive line where they have parts that can move around kind of based on what they need. Real quick before we get in, I have a state of the program question I want to ask you, Josh, just fall out from the uh, from the Peach Bowl. But uh, real quick before we move on to that, Orlando uh, just kind of putting a wrap on um, the Under Armour game. What did you think of Andrew Rame, uh, Anton Harrison, and Nate Anderson? Well, it was our first chance to really see Andrew Rame work at center, and I watched a good chunk of the game last night, and I – Boy, it's hard not to see a future for him there. I mean, you know, it's kind of one of those things where we've projected it for a while. Like, okay, that could work, and it would make sense. You know, especially if Creed Humphrey comes back this year, he could redshirt or have the four games, you know, do whatever. And then going into 2021, he really has an open competition with EJ and Doma Ogar at that center spot. And whoever wins, you'd feel pretty good about. I mean, I, I know I heard a lot of optimism about Indoma Ogar through the season, that there was a lot of feeling that he was coming along maybe even faster than Oklahoma had hoped. And, I, you know, I've said this before. I can tell you that a couple of staffs around the country thought Andrew Rame was one of the top two or three offensive linemen in the country, period. I mean, not positionally, not in a region, just flat out is one of the best guys. And I, like I said, I saw a lot of good from him. Nate Anderson is another guy that I think really impressed people. I will say it's funny seeing Nate around guys like Anton Harrison. Because you're like, wow, he's kind of small. Like, yeah. Anderson needs time. <laughs> but he's 6'3", 6'3 and a half and 260. And An- Anton Harrison's almost 6'6 and about 320. It's a very different-looking human being. But Anderson could play left tackle. He could be a center possibility. There's a lot of people that like him there with his footwork and quickness. Um, would be more of kind of like a Gabe Iker, Ty Darlington-type center. He's not going to be the massive road grader like Creed or like Rain could be. But it just kind of depends on what Oklahoma likes there. And Anton Harrison, finally kind of last guy in that group, I really like him. I think he's one of those guys that goes forgotten because Aaron Parks is more highly rated. Andrew Rames more local. Nate Anderson, again, is more highly rated. Harrison's kind of slid under the radar a little bit, but he's a guy with good feet. His senior tape was really good. Um, I think he's one of those guys that really could be a found – he could be that right tackle for two or three years and really be a good one. By the way, you mentioned the EJ and Domogar. Um, I don't know that we really talked about this, and maybe I mentioned it on the board. I mean, that week was such a blur, the Peach Bowl – uh, but you know who kind of came out of bold practices being the most impressive is Marcus Alexander. Did we talk about that? I don't think we I don't ever... think you guys – I think we DM'd about it, but I don't think we talked – or you guys talked about okay. it through the, the week. So I made sure to talk to him at media day oh, yeah. because of it. Okay. Which Bob uh, snuck around. He's got a bunch of stuff <laughs> with the freshmen coming to, to keep an eye out for on Sooner Scoop. 
I didn't need to professional talk. tease. I, I didn't need to talk to Kenneth Murray or Parnell Motley again or Jalen Hurts. You so know, somebody used used the freshman time. It was kind of interesting. I, you know, I I get to talk to my guys on the radio and and get their kind of feel for what you know their concerns are, and I always find it interesting because sometimes with the you know a casual fan base, you you get questions and. Uh, they they have all these concerns that maybe sometimes aren't shouldn't be concerned. And uh, one of the things that was asked of me this morning was like, "Well, God, what's OU going to do to replace Kenneth Murray? Like, how will they ever replace that?" Now, well, they've got two weak side linebackers. They'll just move, you know, Deshaun White to middle linebacker, and then they got Caleb Kelly. So, it, and they were baffled by that response. <laughs> Because they really thought that there was just going to be there were no linebackers in this program because that's all they've heard about forever, uh, and yes, if one of those guys gets hurt, you got a little issue on your hands. But to me, and we talked enough about it already, but the defensive line is the biggest glaring hole you know to fill for the defense next year, other than safety depth, of course. Yeah, I, you know, I still have more questions in the secondary than I do at defensive line. I think defensive line has nice young pieces that just kind of have to come along. I think Corey Roberson's one of those guys that's been forgotten a little bit. I, I think he's going to be a really good player before it's all said and done. If Oklahoma had needed him, I think he could have played this year. Uh, I think it was kind of a luxury they got to redshirt him. But in the secondary, I mean, you still look at those pieces. Guys, as, as you look around that starting five, and if you want to put Norwood at nickel or Radley Hiles, however you want to look at that, how many of those guys start for a national championship caliber team? Well, I think the thing you're forgetting is two of those guys are from Oklahoma, so they're fine. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, and like I said, if you want to list Broyles in the starting lineup, I mean, I know you guys, from what I heard in the postgame pod, are all kind of into that idea. He cares so, about um, this state and this university, Josh. It matters. It, it does. I mean, and yeah, God, and Carrie, I couldn't agree with you more. I don't like saying it about Justin. He is an outstanding kid, and I cut. You know, the it people sucks. It's a it's it, a shitty situation, right. Josh. Yep. I think we all agree. It on is. That. Yeah, the, the the people that push this Oklahoma agenda, they're doing it for an agenda. It's not because they know about what talent is like in all these other states. But you, you can't hamstring yourself with this idea that. Well, because they care more, it's going to matter that they don't run as well as the kid Oklahoma could have got from California or Texas or Jersey or, you know, again, like all the guys are landing in the D.C. area right now. Those guys are better players. Like and Alabama and the, LSU and Georgia, and it, I mean, those teams are not recruiting in-state kids for feel-good stories. They're not. They're recruiting the best players that they can possibly recruit. And if they're coming from in their own borders – that's great. They love that. They would love to recruit, you know, every kid. Like, Mac Brown recruited every kid from Texas. He just did. I mean, and they could do that. And and they had enough players to do that. Now, he even got criticized for being too, you know, Texas-centric and not going outside. Sure. And every time they tried, they, you know, who was the running back that locked Jason Sukamel out of his party? Uh, Scott, was that his name? That went to Colorado. Oh, yeah, from years Brennan, ago. Was it from uh, Christian Scott? From Los Angeles. Uh, Daryl Scott. Daryl Scott. Scott, yeah. Yep. So, I mean, like, they would have those happen every once in a while, but it's like you have to recruit on the level of Alabama, of LSU, of Clemson, of Georgia right now. You can't worry about 
you know, possibly if this kid might be able to play for you, like his intangibles are going to make him make this team better. No, you just want the best possible players. And you're not going to, you're not going to stay in step with LSU and Alabama recruiting a lot of Oklahoma kids. You're just not. No, and you, you can bring all these examples of great Oklahoma players. That's fine. Curtis Lofton, Gerald McCoy, all these guys. Oklahoma didn't hesitate recruiting those guys. They offered them early and were after all of them. You know, people and people, I said, well, look at the guys that got away. OU was Dax Hill's first offer. Josh Proctor's first offer, Oklahoma. Andrew Rame, his first offer, Oklahoma. Like, uh, and obviously Andrew didn't get away, but Oklahoma doesn't hesitate on the guys that you can't hesitate on. They hesitate on the guys that are marginal that other schools wouldn't be recruiting in their home state either because I've talked about this forever, guys. Tennessee can come in and offer a kid in Oklahoma. Oregon can come in and offer a kid in Oklahoma. LSU, same deal. Because those kids didn't grow up dreaming of playing for Oregon or LSU or Tennessee. They grew up dreaming of playing for Oklahoma. It's the same thing for Tennessee in their own home state. Oklahoma can go make earlier offers there because those kids didn't grow up dreaming of playing in Norman. They wanted to play for Tennessee. That, that's just the way this is. If you make an in-state offer, you have to be ready to take that kid. And if you're ready to take him, that means you know that you cannot sign a more talented player from anywhere else in the country. That's a decision you have to make, or otherwise you're hurting your talent. You're, you're taking a lesser player and if there's no good reason to do so, if the kid's not a problem, if there's no obvious choice, why would you do that? Who who takes a less talented person? Like if I offered somebody out there five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, and there's no strings attached to either one, who would take the five hundred? You're, you're going to take the thousand. That that's just that's just common sense. If you can get a better player that fits you better, that is all the things you need. Why would you take the local guy just because he's local? That doesn't make any sense. That's not. That's not something that holds up to practical analysis. That's just fanboying, you know, want to try to create a storyline that doesn't exist. It's almost like you've done this for 20 years, Josh. It, it, I mean, and guys, like, you guys know I love Oklahoma high school football. I love all this, but you can't name me more than one or two guys that Oklahoma flat out has not recruited. Don't talk about the guys that they didn't get. Oklahoma can't control who comes and who doesn't come. But you can't name me a guy or more than a guy or two that they flat out didn't recruit, went somewhere else, and Oklahoma truly regretted it. People bring up Wes Welker. Oh, you had Mark Clayton during Wes Welker. Mark Clayton was a better <laughs> college player than Wes Welker was. And, and it's really not even uh, a debate. That's, that's your opinion. <laughs> Are you, you know, I did mean, you see my tweet this morning? I asked I you a simple question, and you can't even oh, give boy. me the response back. So you're telling me that Mason Fine wouldn't have started in front of Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray? I I feel pretty good about that, Eddie. I'm not going to lie. And you know what? He wouldn't have beat out Jalen Hurts either. You know, somebody brought I mean, up this morning to me. I don't know. Me, Mason Fine can throw the ball. <laughs> somebody brought up to me this morning Ryan Broyles, and I said I had a pretty simple answer to it. I was like, well, yeah, that was a that was a, a serious evaluation problem because look at the receivers that OU had when they were hemming and hawing and trying to decide whether they wanted to offer Ryan Bros. They had Dewan Miller, Adrian Tanell, who I thought was a great high school player, but he sucked in college. He say, was terrible. I'd say Adron had how do I say this? 
football wasn't his the most important thing in his life, <laughs> and it showed. Yes. Uh, but who else was? It uh, wasn't a. Ta- I, I, what I'm trying to say, it wasn't a talent thing. Yeah. I think the talent was there. He just didn't ever extend himself. On they that. had uh, Cam Kenny, who made one play in his entire career in Bedlam, and then stole a purse. And uh, who? There was some other guy that was just a rando. But, but like there, I'm sorry, but Jay Norvell did a terrible job of evaluating receiver talent. When what he was about Dan and Cavill? Yeah, Dan and Cavill. I mean. Josh can remember this at, list better than me. Dallas. Look Todd. at who they lost Dallas. to get Ryan Broyles. James Kirkendall flipped on him from, you know, as an Austin area kid, flipped to Texas from Oklahoma, and they suddenly had a spot with like two weeks to go before signing day. So they went and got Ryan Broyles. Nobody remembers James Kirkendall other yeah. than the diehardest of Texas fans. Ryan Broyles ended up breaking all kinds of records. Like, the, I'm not telling you Oklahoma's evaluations in state have always been on point. But I'm just telling you, they've lost very few guys that would have made any difference to that program. I think that's fair. Yeah, and I mean, and not I mean, even fair. It's just it's a fact. And the it's fact true. That, that you can even name one or two tells you how little number there really is. Exactly. Because if there's so remember many, that, remember that '09 season? Like they literally could not find someone to catch a football. Like, Ryan Bros was the only player on that roster that could consistently catch a ball when it was thrown to him. Mm-hmm. They needed to get Kenny Stills in there to have a second receiver. As a freshman. And that right? was when they were throwing yeah. 570 times a game, which does not mean they that lost Ryan Bros was a better player than C.D. Lamb. Yeah. They lost Sam, and they had to go to a five-wide. Kevin Wilson was smart enough to say, okay, well, Landry Jones is just a statue. We're going to just we're just gonna go to shotgun exclusively. We're not going to do all this, you know, no-huddle you know, make DeMarco Murray play action stuff. We're just dropping back and throwing the ball. And he put out five receivers and only one of them could catch. And it was an awful season to watch a football. That was the year when Ryan Broyles scored against Texas Tech. They were down like 40 points, it seemed. And he's celebrating from the 15-yard line and taunting Texas Tech players. Down 40. Flags go everywhere. And Bob Stoops wore him out. On the sideline, like I've never seen him wear anybody out. How's that that game? I still think that Nebraska game that year may have been the ugliest oh football game God. I've ever watched. Yep. Awful. Well, it did. It did. You know, that was the start of the biggest man crush in, in college Sue. football history. Josh McQuiston and Don McKinsey. Oh, yeah. Well, he nearly ended, he was ending people's lives that day. <laughs> he was awesome. Like he, he won the game for him. <laughs> he was awesome. Yeah. It was unbelievable. I, so, I don't know. I, I think we put the Oklahoma thing to rest. It's just such yeah, a dumb pandering. I don't want to drag that out. That, well, yeah. thing, it, you, just, you, can't take, yeah, you can't take five per year just because. Yeah. That's not how it works. There's years where there's six or seven. There's years when there's two or three. It's like saying that's if, okay. if Jaden Hazelwood had played high school football in Oklahoma, he would have been the number one guy, no question, five-star in Oklahoma. Like, that never happens. Like And that's the type of player you're talking about going to get. It's like, it's easy to sit there and say, well, you should take more Oklahoma kids when you're not actually out there seeing what is available. I mean, like, the yeah. kids at the Under Armour game, like, that is a different planet. Like, when you go, tell me this, when you go to an Oklahoma high school football game and you see, like, uh, Ethan Downs or something, I mean, like, you see the size that he has compared to most of every kid on that field. Like, there's just no comparison. There's a reason why... One kid is just looks like a man amongst boys 
because this level of football is not the same as it is in Texas and Florida. Well, we've we talked about it before too, as well. Just as it's as simple as this. It's because little Johnny records thirty five tackles a game at Hera doesn't mean he's going to be the next middle starting linebacker at Oklahoma. It does, yeah, sure. like that's as simple. That's as simple as I can put it. There is no question. There is an underappreciation for Oklahoma talent, but we're talking about guys that should be at Iowa State, Kansas, like things like that. Guys that can help Oklahoma at the level they want to play at are few and far between in the state of Oklahoma. That's just the reality of it. There's not that many guys that can play at the level Oklahoma needs them to. That's, and that's why it why takes you 15 years, a period of 15 years, to get like nine guys to put on a page. Yeah, while LSU has probably four guys in their current roster from the state of Louisiana who are going to be first-round picks. Like, that's 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 not a diss. That's just the reality of it. Oklahoma doesn't produce talent on this high a level. And when they do, those kids go to Oklahoma and become first-round picks. I mean, you look at it. What, for the last 20 years, I was trying to think about it, there are two guys from the state of Oklahoma that were first-round picks that didn't go to Oklahoma. Josh Jacobs and Justin Blackman. Oklahoma recruited both those guys. Now, Josh Jacobs, I think they waited way too long on. I, I, I'm behind that argument. But it doesn't change that Oklahoma was on the same schedule as everybody else. Like, you can't, you can't diso-you for being right where everybody else was. Going into January of that year, he had a Wyoming offer. He was going to go to Wyoming. And then everybody figured out, oh, crap, this guy's really, really good. And they dealt with it. I'm, again, I'm not here to argue that OU handled that the way they should have. They didn't. But you can't say, well, Alabama recruited him harder. Alabama wasn't sure he had an offer until his signing day ceremony. Like, you, you can't have that both ways. Is Oklahoma closer to a national championship at this point than they were a year ago, Josh? Yeah. I, 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 they have an idea of what they want to do on defense. Their talent is getting better on that side of the ball. Obviously, Kenneth Murray and Neville Gallimore are huge losses, but that's what happens when you're playing at the level Oklahoma needs to. You're losing draft picks to the NFL draft every single year, and they've got better personnel. Ronnie Perkins is going to be a high draft pick. Jalen Redmond has a chance to be that guy, kind of guy. LaRon Stokes is probably an eventual NFL draft pick. They've got a lot of pieces, and I think Caleb Kelly, I really liked what I saw of Caleb Kelly down the stretch. I don't think a lot of people have talked about that. But I thought he played at some of his best football over those last four games. In the secondary, I think we all know I love Turner Yell. I, I'm not saying he's a big NFL draft pick, but I asked that question earlier. He's the only guy in that secondary that I say you could win a national championship with that guy playing that position. He's the only one in that group I could make an argument for. And like, I mean, and like you I mean I said, that, for next that's year because that's fight them fighting words with Motley. No, yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going into 2020, uh, yeah. No, Motley, uh, Motley, I mean, people kind of left out that Motley just shut down Jamar Chase. He was not part of that game at all. They didn't need to throw at him. <laughs> I mean, now, he didn't necessarily have to be. Not yeah. when they were letting but, Randy right. Moss's kid run 50 yards behind the defense without anybody covering him. Yeah, you know, I mean... Louisiana three-star versus Oklahoma four-star. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> well, it, yeah. God, I'm sorry, I mean, Justin. No. That was mean. I'm sorry. That was wrong. I think, you know, just just 
like I've kind of been saying, just just now getting back to the type of quarterback that Lincoln thrives under in Spencer Rattler, uh, you're going to have this rece- this young receiving core is finally going to kind of get to eat, as the kids say. Um, I think Jaden Hazelwood could make a really big jump next year. I think Theo Weasel make a big impact and then we'll see what happens with you know role players like drake stoops and things like that but offensively all american offensively they're gonna be good campus really good i'm telling you i've already made the call i think drake Stoops starts next year i i am making that call yeah i'm gonna lock you in january 3rd it kind of has to jones is gone basquin's gone Mm -hmm. bridges will probably miss the first five games it's going to be Drake. And the question and will be, does does Rambo stay with the five stars, or do those guys eventually pass him? I don't, man. I'll say this. Like, there was one play in that game where Rambo had the ball in space, and he, he did. just ran right into a guy. I like, thought I thought it was going to go. I said in the press box, ooh, that might go for a touchdown. It didn't even get a first his down. His elusiveness is troubling as a receiver in space. Meanwhile, bigger guys like Hazelwood and Weiss are – Shaking guys and yeah. you know making all kinds of moves as freshmen. I mean, I, I I think it's a crime if those two don't start next year. I kind of floated it out there earlier, but you've put something up on the Crimson Corner this morning, Josh. Uh, how active is Oklahoma going to be in that grad transfer market, uh, specifically at the skill position? Well, I mean, I, I think they're about as locked in as they could be with UCLA grad transfer Theo Howard. Um, he's, you know, to be, we got to give our guy Stoops bros on the board credit. He searched the, uh, the OU database and he's already in the OU.edu database. Now there's no way that's a coincidence. Um, this is a guy that was a near five-star coming out of high school, left UCLA with their, all their problems. Um, didn't play, they played one game, actually played against but, Oklahoma. OU, I know that's the only game. <laughs> Eddie, is this more of the scouting story? We got to explore this a little bit. Was Lincoln Riley was that a tryout again? That's a good question and something that I, didn't really come to mind until you said that. So yeah, I, I, it, it, Lincoln Riley up to his old tricks. Um, but no, this is a running guy this thing like a pro team speed. makes you wonder. Is he on? He have a yeah. foot out the door. <laughs> He'll be catching passes from De'Eric King this time next year. I mean, all the scouting comes together. Uh, but, no, this is a guy, like I said, from everybody I've talked to, not everything is finalized. It doesn't sound like he, you know, that he's taken a step that he can't step back from. But I, I definitely think the impression is that in the next week he'll probably show up in Norman, start in classes, and, you know, get going with uh, his, you know, his grad stuff, his grad work. And, you know, start working out with the team, doing all the things he needs to do. So I expect Theo Howard to be part of the team. I want to watch a little bit more of him at UCLA. Obviously, other than when OU played them, UCLA wasn't really on my radar this year. But this is a guy, like I said, that was a huge recruit out of Southern California. Oklahoma recruited him back then. A speed guy, really elusive he makes a lot of sense, kind of in the role we were just talking about. Maybe he's the guy that, that makes me wrong about Drake Stoops. He is that guy that can work over the middle, can extend plays, make a 10-yard you know, out into a 30-yard touchdown. I mean, he's that kind of talent. And I don't think Oklahoma's done in the grad transfer market. I expect them to take some more looks, especially with how casual they're being 
about this 2020 class. There's not a lot of guys that they're kind of kicking the tires on, checking around on. I think if Gary Bryant wanted to get involved, Oklahoma would look down that road uh, as far as a high school player. But with that exception, I've heard no names that I think are really going to pick up steam with Oklahoma. And with that in mind, they're going to have a few spaces left over, especially if a few more transfers come through, like I think we all expect they will, then Oklahoma can start to look down that road and start to evaluate some guys. I think linebacker gets a look. I think defensive back clearly gets a look. And like we said, it's going to be really tough to find a defensive lineman who can come in and help Oklahoma. But if that was there, I think that's absolutely something Oklahoma would look at. And going back to Howard, back-to-back, uh, years of at least 50 catches as a sophomore and junior. And that's not playing with the best quarterbacks ever in terms of the Bruins. So he could definitely make a real impact there. And, and yeah, I think you do just have to sort of see, especially in secondary, a lot of guys we've all circled in terms of Jordan Parker, Chance Sylvie, Robert Barnes. Do any of them stay? Do any of them leave? And how does that open up things? You feel like the secondary is still where they need to – even though they're bringing in five talented guys, it still feels like they need more more work there. Okay. I'm sorry. i am got some business I'm attending to in the middle of everything. No, the other guy – and I'm going to blank on his name. I was sitting here trying to look at it while Bob was talking. There is an offensive line transfer from Stanford, and I'm just blanking on his name. He is a guy that I think would get a look as well. Um, probably could come in, maybe be that guy that gives Oklahoma – I mean, and this is not a R.J. Proctor guy. This is a guy that's probably got some NFL draft aspirations, uh, could solidify the tackle situation a little bit, maybe until Stacey Wilkins is ready or whatever they want to do outside. But he is an interesting guy to keep an eye on too. And I wish I could say his name, but I am just drawing a complete blank on it right here at the moment. I think – by the way, I, I watched that Virginia-Florida game. Virginia was not a bad football team. I mean, they weren't great, but I I don't know if the way that R.J. Proctor played in the playoff, I'm surprised he even started for Virginia. He was bad. Not have the best day. Yeah. Of course. No, what – Bob, you talked about it during the game, but when Shashawn ran him over at 80 pounds lighter than him, you're like, well, that's, yeah. that's the story right there. That's And it, it and it just went back to what we talked about the whole lead-up when it looked like OU was going to have a chance to get in. Chase Young against R.J. Proctor is just a horror. I mean, Jalen Hurst might not have gotten to have that speech after the game. He might have you know, been carried off in an ambulance. It would have been ugly. I mean, for a, a program that has, has produced – the level of tackles that Oklahoma has, this is this is this is a big deal going into next year. Is improving at that left tackle spot, finding somebody, some priority. I was that probably the worst game a Bill Beatembo offensive line put on tape. I'm talking ever. I thought they were in that several bad. years for sure. I mean, you look back at some of those early lines, and it wasn't really his fault. Yeah, that's But fair. there were some pretty – I mean, you go okay, back to the Texas, Texas game, with, game by yeah. a St. John thing. With matching the talent level. Sure, sure. Since, then, yeah. I mean, it since was – Since the Josiah St. John know, Derek Farniak days, definitely. Why are you crying? Farniak, you weren't that good. <laughs> we don't – His mom was you know, hot, and, and I know it's not a thing where we think this is some sign, 
But you look at it in general, this was a kind of disappointing year for that offensive line. I mean, they weren't bad or anything, but they were never you, – you thought as the year went on they would get better and better, and I didn't feel like we saw that. I feel like they were – a lot of the same problems they had in game one they had against um, uh, LSU. It was very similar issue. They didn't seem like they really ever – just turn you know gelled and turned into a singular unit it was just kind of chaotic the whole time i mean see and that's the thing everybody is is up in arms about the big 12 and the competition level i mean the way the schedule worked out the competition ramped up for oklahoma i mean it got tougher they got they started they played tough like oklahoma state had a decent defense this year uh i mean baylor obviously a very good team uh, TCU wasn't awful. Iowa State wasn't awful. Like, but they weren't good either. No, well, yeah. You know what I mean? I, hold yeah. on. I'm, I'm going to get to my point. <laughs> Everybody is all upset about the Big 12 and this and that. There is a reason why Oklahoma looked really good early and kind of struggled late because they started playing better teams. But that's the thing. When you look at Clemson, they play in a shitty conference too, but they dominate everybody. And yeah. that's – if you're Oklahoma, that's the mindset you've got to have moving forward. Like, I see all these – all these giddy Texas fans out there like, oh, you is done. The Peach Bowl was their downfall. It's all downhill from here. Which you th- would think as a Texas fan, you would come to realize that maybe bowl success doesn't actually matter all that much. Um, Josh, is uh, Linda cleaning around you? Right? Did you take her on the road? <laughs> no, it, it always amazes me what you guys can hear. Okay, yep, nope, I, I'm good. So, no, I mean, but I mean, I – Everybody's, you know, leave the conference. This conference sucks. But if Clemson wins the national championship, they're pretty much going to prove it doesn't matter what conference you play in. It just matters how good you are. So basically, you're kind of painting a picture that over these next couple of years, this is more about Oklahoma, in a way, separating themselves yes. already yes. from yes. more so than what it already is. Yes. Which, like, what you've done so far like, doesn't matter because you're you're not blowing everyone out on your schedule. I know the big the big thing out there, and I've made fun of it on Twitter and everything, but like OU's not leaving the Big 12. They're not calling the Big 12 offices next Monday when they open for business and calling Bob up and saying, hey, Bob, we're out. Like, that's not happening for at least the next but two, three. is when the grand Okay, so the next up. five years. That's just, it's not happening. So I, I think it's one of those things that you have to start, like you you will you really will look back at this time and think that it's lost time if you don't make that next jump because now you're recruiting at a level that you should be able to start kind of clearing yourself. And in a way, I do think that there will be some Big 12 schools that not come back to the pack by any means, but get back to where they've been. Like I, if Oklahoma State gets back, Tylen Wallace and Chuba Hubbard, which it seems like is kind of headed in that direction. I just can't believe Chuba Hubbard's going to come back. I mean, have you seen all the coaches Tweeting about it this morning. I know morning. they're yeah. they're they're tweeting out the or Canadian is this just flags a, and everything. Is this a thing to I think they're recruiting him. Recruit him. Yeah. I see. Yeah. There's just no reason for him to come back. This is a. I mean, that running back group is freaking good. Just censored myself. You've never heard me say freaking running you? back group. Oh, in the NFL. Yeah, draft, like you mean that's oh, going okay. into this. That's gotcha. going into this. Okay. This. Uh, I was going to say at Oklahoma State. No, no. no. <laughs> I mean, but what I can what guarantee is you this: for, I think he'd start if he came back next year for Oklahoma State. <laughs> nice. I mean, what is there? What more is there for him to prove? Lots went to Doug Walker. He needs to get into the NFL so he can get this three years behind him and get a real contract, like every running back has to do. Yeah. It, yeah, he needs to talk to NFL running backs that realize how short that shelf life is. Every 
I mean, and it's not like we know Oklahoma State's going to put more tread on those tires. I mean, they're they're going to run him and run him and run him, and that that's just a whole year of shelf life plus more chance for an injury. And guess what? If you bring him back and promise that you're not going to run him and you have another Justice Hill type year, why even bring him back? That's not going to do you any good if you're Oklahoma State. Because Justice Hill's last year was a joke. It's going to hurt his draft stock. Yeah. No, Justice Hill's final year at Oklahoma State was terrible. He ran like 11 times a game. He got hurt. It was weird. Remember, he left the Bedlam game that year and never returned. Eddie, do we call that the Millwood plan? (laughs) We can. From here on out, we can. (laughs) We start referring to it as that. So, yeah, I mean, look, if he comes back, they're going to be really good. Yeah. I just, that seems like one of the worst decisions you could possibly make if you come back, if you're Chuba Hubbard. There's a lot of uh, smoke screens coming out of Stillwater. Sean Gleason's tweeting this morning. I thought he was headed to Rutgers. Yeah. Like, there's those rumors about Monken out there. Mm-hmm. I don't think that Monken would go to Oklahoma State if he doesn't have, com- what, Monken? I just like how you're saying Monken. Monken, Monken, yeah, Todd Monken, right? Like Monken. Monken. Todd like Monken. Monken Donuts. He's a guy that likes saying f- a lot. Yes, he does. Uh, and that's why I think he's, he wants to stay in the NFL just so he can, he can cuss more, I think. Well, I, it just wouldn't make sense if, okay, say Gleason does leave. How does that work with, like, that would make sense that Casey Dunn would want to stay around because right. he takes over all the responsibility for play calling. Right. Monken's not going to come in and not call plays, I wouldn't Yeah, think. I would think Although, Monken would become when you work for an idiot like Freddie Kitchens, you don't get to call plays. Yeah. So, I don't know. It, it, it'll be interesting. for the idiot dirt cutter before that. Will uh, Matt Rule be in Waco next year? No. No chance? I want to say no chance like a moron. Yeah, but no chance. But No. The Giants thing just I'd makes too much 20%. sense, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. The Giants thing makes too much sense, which makes me think he'll be the next. Three, two, one. Which makes me think he will be the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. I think that I think a coach that takes the Cowboys job is going to be an NFL lifer that is used to dealing with, you know, not being having a say in personnel yeah. and we kind of like talked that. about that this morning, just as far as. Like, it's going to have to be somebody. They, the book is out on how Jerry runs a team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, the guy that takes that job isn't, it's not, nothing's going to be a surprise about how that thing is run. So it's just going to be basically saying publicly that you're okay with being a puppet. Well, you know what's interesting is they've said that if the defensive coordinator for the Ravens gets a job, he's hiring Joe Brady to run his offense. That's interesting. Well, that would be good for Oklahoma in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. Yeah. So. I did not realize that Joe Brady wore that gold chain like that. <laughs> That's something I that I really miss. I mean, he really does. Someone when he sees a gold chain, it really they, they just fall in my eyes. He looks. He he looks. I don't even know if he looks like a GA. Like he's just got that look. Like I don't know if son, are you are you supposed to be here? Like, that's the first thing I think of when they show Joe Brady up in the press box next to him. My first thought was, man, I bet that guy buys a bunch of black and milds. <laughs> <laughs> you think he drives like a... Like a... like a Beat-up Saturn. No, I'm thinking hey. more like of a, a Nissan GTR is probably what he drives. Still has, has like a bunch of like, like Tupac... Oh, yeah. A bunch He's of Tupac CDs. Oh, yeah. He doesn't even use a cell phone. <laughs> He does look. He does look a little Eminem-ish. The guy can 
freaking coach, though. There's no doubt about that. They him and Enzing Enz Enzminger Minger 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 Enz Minger. <laughs> That's a tough name. That was a tough name yeah, to say. It's the Enz. It's and the Enz. It's tough almost, one to spell. It's almost as tough as Falmati. I guess we won't have a. Yeah, we'll have a podcast next week. We can talk about the game next week. Well, the game isn't next week, though. It's the 13th. Yeah. I know. That's what I'm saying. We can talk about it then, next week. Oh, the preview. Preview, preview the game. Preview. Yeah, we don't need to talk about it today. Uh, basketball, uh, just real quick on that. Sooners getting ready for conference play, Kansas State, coming up Saturday. Uh, the big news was that Christian Doolittle got suspended uh, for a game the other day. Um, what? It's the what's, second. What's the what's what what happened? What would he do? What would he do? Just the the second time he's missed a a, a game this season. Uh, no real cause for concern. Kruger said he's going to be back out. Saturday though. He's we we talked to Kruger and, about it. And that's a it's a three headed monster right now with Doolittle, Austin Reeves, Brady Manick, and you know you rarely have seen all three look good at the at the same time, but there's been flashes from all three where they've been clearly the best player on the court. The the difference, what this is going to boil down to, Davion Harmon, Jamal Bienmi, they've got to wake up. We we had Lon on the other day on the radio, and uh, he said we were going through the players, and he (laughs) said uh, he had a funny quote about Davion Harmon. He said, yeah, Davion, uh, we finally got him to start taking more realistic shots. Yes. It's true. The first month of the season, it was just insane what this kid thought he could do when he got into the lane. And now that he's coming off the bench, he's played much better. He had, yeah. five, he had uh, five assists Monday, and he just seems more controlled, like he's finally starting to find his rhythm. But the problem is, Alondis Williams starting in his place yeah. has been awful as a starter. Both of those guys are playing better coming off the bench. Hill's been so pretty they good, though. Figure I, that I like what I've seen out of Hill. Yeah, they've... Victor Iwakor, Jalen Hill, Kirk Quest finally has shown up the last couple games. Yeah. It was good to see Williams was okay, too, because that was kind of a scary little run-in that he had, banging knees with another guy. What was mm-hmm. that on Tuesday night? Or Monday night. Monday night, Monday yeah. night against uh, Rio Grande Valley. So well, was- here's the biggest question for me. Will... Jamal Bienemy ever recover from this tailspin that he's yeah. in. I thought he played better on Monday night. He, he did, had a three and so, he had like seven points. I know. Something. It's like seven points. Like, oh, he was incredible. He had seven points. That's not supposed to be what Jamal Bienemy no, brings. No, he made team. so many big shots last year. But I mean, then he disappeared down the stretch last year, too. He had that really nice stretch in the middle of the conference play. Highlighted by Bedlam. Didn't he have like 24 points or something? He was in a great in Be- Bedlam. Was it Bedlam, Bedlam, Stillwater, he was sensational. And then he kind of faded away because he's not as aggressive. And then he kind of doesn't know when he should be aggressive and when he should back off and gets a little mental with him. But this team has some pieces. They should go eight or nine deep. But you look at Kansas, you look at Baylor, you look at Texas Tech, a lot of good teams in this conference. Yeah. They fit as like a seven or eight seed. That's what point. I was going to ask you. Fifth or sixth in the conference at best? At, at that, best. That's best I mean, case. They're nine well, now that KU survived. Yeah. The, the what? Now that KU didn't die. Oh, not. Well, yet. <laughs> we'll see. You think they, if they keep flying Swift Airlines, they're putting their life in their own hands. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. Is that what they were flying? Swift, yeah. I mean, why aren't they just flying private? can't tell me that well, Kansas they, doesn't have Adidas a couple boosters. Adidas had to Adidas stop giving them the money because the FBI got wise. 
But you you look at the Sooners, they're nine and three, and they've got a one point win against Central Florida, two point win against North Texas, barely uh, got out of Will uh, William and Mary. This could easily be like a seven and five team. Yeah. They they might be what everyone thought they were heading into the season. Which is a eight nine matchup in the NCAA tournament. Eight nine matchup in the Cannon big fodder. in Big Twelve tournament and kind of hoping. Their net rating has dropped a little. They were in the mid-30s when it first came out, but then they had that Wichita State and Creighton week. They're, they're going to need to not have a February swoon of any chance to make the tournament. They kind of – I mean, they're a better team to me. Like, when Brady Manick becomes the guy down the stretch, I like him a lot better than Austin Reeves because Reeves is just a wild card sometimes. I mean, I don't know if I want him in the clutch taking on my shots. Your- Austin Reeves slander. <laughs> we'll not stand for this. You know, he did get a technical for slapping a for guy slapping. on a follow through of his own shot. Fault. That's not his fault. I mean, he's a little extra sometimes. The thing with Manic is sometimes he falls in love with just being that shooter instead of, you know, those dunks he had Monday. That's nice. Do it in conference play. Yeah. It's going to, it's a much different game <laughs> what they're about <laughs> to experience than what real Grim Valley. But, but yeah, I, there are some nice pieces down there. I just, it's gonna. You got to win your home games and then hope yep. to steal a couple. And I think everybody thought Davion Harmon would be a bigger contributor than he is. At I think this that's point. probably fair. Very that's fair. fair. And he's got to figure it out. I think he's slowly getting there. But what he was three weeks ago was atrocious, and he sort of knew it. So now he's coming. He's coming off the bench. He's still playing about 25, 30 minutes. So he's doing his part in that regard. But he's got to figure out how to balance being a passer and a scorer because there's games he tries to do one or the other. He's got to be the mix. He's got to I can't do, even remember. Was he preseason newcomer of the year in the conference or was it somebody from Kansas or Tech or something? I don't think so. I don't even know. Did they give out a preseason newcomer? It's a good question. I just assumed that they did. But Kansas State is 7-5, and five, lost so much from last year. You got to get a win Saturday. Or and go you have to go to the game. Downhill quickly. Unless you have ESPN Plus, because this is an ESPN Plus game. Chris Clark from Virginia Tech. Uh, I mean, uh, Texas Tech. Virginia Tech transfer. Oh, okay. He's a preseason newcomer. Interesting. All right. Uh, any any other official business you guys want to get to before we get out of here? Just waited on Creed Humphrey, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that... I'm going to tell you, uh, if he doesn't declare, I'm going to find a way to get him ineligible, because we need money. <laughs> I think it's. Uh, I'm going to report some stuff that happened that only I know about, so he'll have to leave. I think it'd be accurate to say that we all three think he's coming back. Yes, Josh, are you included? Okay, <laughs> we're good. I, no, I am. I, I that that seems to be what I'm hearing. I, sorry, guys, I put you on speaker. I was looking for a couple things, but uh, but yeah, you don't care so about I, basketball? Did you? That's what did it feels you? Like. Do you travel with Linda? No, I do not. Okay, she doesn't no become like a maid on the road. There was there was a what, what you heard earlier. There's a bouncy ball in the room I was in, and I was messing with it. I was flipping it up and down. I couldn't believe you actually heard it. So you don't have a green card. It's hard to travel around. Can't cross state lines, and we flew. So you know, tough deal. Are Poor you Linda. in an exotic location? Right. What? We don't even know. <laughs> we don't know where you Josh do is. or where you are. Or- in I I am about equidistant between forty uh, excuse me forty five thirty five and Stillwater off of fifty one. So no, I am not anywhere exotic. We are. This is like our Christmas week with the Oklahoma folks. We have not. 
well, I didn't get a chance to come up and see them because Lainey had school the week that we usually come up. And then you had me getting around earlier this week to Orlando and San Antonio. So this was like the few days we could actually get it in. So we were up seeing everybody this week. Interesting statement by the McQuishan family that school's more important than the birth of Jesus Christ, but that's okay. Oh, Eddie. Hmm, no religion, sir. You're banned for a week. <laughs> <Ooh>. True. True. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> no, I think that's it, though. I think we're good. All right. Well, we appreciate everybody. Uh, sorry we uh, you know, kind of missed the normal Wednesday date, but with New Year's and, the, and Josh's travel, we wanted to get you as much information as possible. I think it worked out. About the camps and then, of course, uh, Chandler Morris committing. Uh, so we uh, will we'll continue to monitor what goes on with the quarterback in 2021. The good news is you got plenty of time um, if things change. So um, going to be interesting to watch it all go through. Signing day coming up as well. You got the national championship coming, but a lot of Sooner hoops. And uh, stay tuned. The message board, Theo Howard, still kind of tracking that, waiting to see uh, if and when that becomes official. Um, and uh, any other news that might happen with uh, transfer portals or things like that. So thanks, everybody, for listening uh, to the MidFirst Bank. Go to MidFirst, midfirst.com and midfirst.com slash U40. Sign up uh, for that OU Rewards credit card, and uh, if you do it at a uh, branch location, uh, you'll get a free uh, Bluetooth speaker when you sign up as well. So thanks for listening to the Unofficial 40. We'll see you guys next week right here on Soonerscoop.com.